Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Hey guys, just want to chime in to let you know, since this is going live on May 29th, we have a virtual event today. We have such a good turnout scheduled, but there are a few slots left, so I wanted to get the word out. For a few last minute people, if you have yet to attend one of our events, you are so missing out. All you have to do is go to IamWim.com slash RSVP. They are free, 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 and you get the most incredible, fun experience networking with all of your work family from WIM. Um, So sorry, influencers uh, are not welcome at this event, but we will be having another one for you guys in the not-so-distant future. Um, Also, our swag shop is still open for sales. We've got cool, cool stuff. Um, Our mugs have been selling like hotcakes guys hotcakes um i personally love my hoodie i think it's the best thing ever but i'm like a i'm a hoodie person so i got the white one i've heard the blue is really pretty um regardless of the color it's so soft guys it's so nice and like working from home and everything it's really really nice and comfortable and everything good so highly recommend getting the hoodie the cell phone cases are also really really cute and they're also fun conversation starters too when you're um on a zoom call and you've got this cool whim shirt or uh or a cell phone case or what have you so um check out the swag shop i am whim.com slash swag and let's jump into this week's episode Danielle Wiley is the founder and CEO of Sway Group, an agency that supports a large community of influencers and connects them to the right brands for high-impact marketing campaigns. Prior to founding Sway, Danielle ran social strategy for Edelman's Chicago-based digital group. Between working on the social campaigns for household brands and channeling her passion for cooking into a food blog, she realized there was a need to professionalize and streamline the process for connecting influencers with brands. She launched Sway in 2011. With nearly 25 years of industry experience, Danielle is widely recognized as an industry leader in content marketing, influencer marketing, and social media strategy. She has the practical knowledge to understand what is doable and the creative energy to consistently push the envelope with her initiatives. Thanks to her expertise, Danielle is a regular contributor to Forbes.com and has been featured in Adweek, TechCrunch, Digiday, VentureBeat, Media Post, Marketing Land, and PR Daily. She has spoken at numerous industry conferences, including South by Southwest and CES. Danielle is a graduate of Vassar College and currently lives in Marin County, California with her husband and two teens. Welcome to the podcast, Danielle. So Danielle, you have a really extensive background that could not be a better fit for being on this podcast today. (laughs) 
So I'm so grateful to have you on. Um, for everyone listening, we just heard a little bit about you and your background, but I always love to hear in your own words. Um, tell everybody a little bit about you yourself and how you are made it to where you are today. Yeah. Hi. I'm super excited to be here. Um, uh, I'm trying to think where to start. So my whole career has really been in the digital interactive space. And I am old enough that that means that when I first started, it was, I mean, like CompuServe and AOL and using a modem at work. And um, actually, my very first job was doing PR for a book called The Women's Guide to Online Services. So um, I've been doing this for a very long time. Um, I have kind of adjusted my career with the changing times, but always keeping pretty much both feet in that digital space. So um, this kind of ran the gamut from copywriting to information architecture, client management, um, just kind of learning everything about all of that stuff. And then in the early 2000s, when blogs started becoming a thing, I started my own blog, a food blog called Food Mommyac that um, you sh no one should go to right now because it's really sad and not updated. Um, but that really getting involved personally in the social media space was the very best lesson I ever could have had about how this all works. And because I was working with a lot of B2B clients at the time, my brain instantly started trying to figure out, okay, this is awesome new technology. This is kind of changing everything for me personally. How can this translate to what people to my work life and to what my clients are trying to do. Um, back then it wasn't even called social media. So I have like old decks I created called like web 2.0, you know, what is it? <laughs> Teaching my clients about all that stuff. So that was kind of like the very beginnings of it. And I eventually ended up at Edelman PR in their Chicago office and running digital strategy for that office. And um, we started doing a lot of influencer work. Back then they were just called bloggers. Um, but we, we started trying to integrate them into our client programming. And at first, so we're talking like 2006, 2007, it was very easy. You would just send a list of bloggers some free product and they were all really excited to get it and would write about it. I mean, this was before there were even banner ads on blogs. Um, so then everything obviously started changing, more platforms popped up. It wasn't just blogs anymore. Um, I think there was a realization in the industry that influencers weren't necessarily, not all of them at least, journalists. So having that relationship where you're sending something to review and then getting a, a review of it didn't really make sense and a better fit for most of what we were trying to accomplish as a PR agency and influencer was more, was a, um, a closer, had a closer relationship to a spokesperson relationship than to a journalist relationship, which meant that money came into play. And so we started paying influencers money to participate in programs with us. And at first it was easy and fun and we'd use three or four people. And then 
as anything always does, it started to scale up and suddenly we'd find ourselves needing 50 to 100 influencers for a program and my team was just killing itself. And there was no way that we had the resources to be researching all these people, making sure they were the right fit, negotiating separate contracts with all of them. And all I wanted to do was pick up the phone and call someone and say, here's my budget, make this happen. Thank you. Goodbye. And there was no one doing that to my standards. And so that's the very long story of how I started Sway. No, that's fantastic. But I also, I, interestingly, I love the even last comment that you're making. Like nobody was doing it to your standards. Right. Um, I love that. I, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, nobody was doing it, period. So talk to me a little bit about even, even back then before you had your own company, I think that the way that you work for other people and with other people sort of all paves the way for your future company, which of course is Sway today. Yeah. Um, so talk to everybody and talk to me a little bit about um, you know, what you learned while you were working for a large company like Edelman and the standards and things that you'd like to create to make your work personally um, really elevated? Yeah. Um, there were a few things that we were seeing that weren't working for the way that we were set up. So one, um, the vetting of influencers wasn't where we needed it to be. So um, we had a lot of clients that were very, um, making air quotes, family friendly, where we only could work with influencers who had no swearing, no talk about their details of their sex life. No, I mean, very, very particular. And so some of the groups that we were calling to try to help us just didn't get that. And, and they would send people that had really graphic descriptions of the sex they had with their husband two nights ago or a ton of swear words. And so it was wasting our time. So that was one issue we saw. We also saw an issue that budgets didn't always match up with the budgets that a PR agency has. Um, so anyone who's in marketing knows that if a total marketing and advertising budget is like a pie, the PR slice is you know, as my mom would say, a sliver. <laughs> it's a very small piece. Um, and so a lot of the um, uh, companies that we were calling um, were requiring us to bundle in sponsored content programs as part of a larger banner ad buy. And one, that wasn't something that was part of our purview. So we didn't have access to that budget. And then even if that was part of our purview, we couldn't afford to do it. So it was making our programs really complicated. Um, and then finally, the other thing um, that we were seeing was that there wasn't, we were having to be very, very involved to make sure that the quality of content was where we needed it to be. So all three of those things really kind of translate into how we do things at Sway. Um, we are super, I mean, we have a ton of technology that helps us out, but we're super hands-on in selecting the influencers who we use on programs. Um, two, we understand, I mean, certainly we have program minimums, but we only price for what, everything we price is customized based on what the client needs. There's not 
any kind of prepackaged template like, sorry, you have to get this. It's all customized. Um, and then our QA process is crazy extensive um, because we want clients to come back and we want our influencers to be successful. And we do a lot of programs with nano influencers and this might be the first time they're doing something sponsored. There are no real guides for how to do it the right way. So we take on that role. We, you know, do very detailed post instructions. We check content before it goes live. We check it again after it goes live to make sure everything was the same. And then for some of our newer influencers, this means helping them rewrite it, sitting with them, making suggestions. Um, it's, it's super hands-on. It's not cheap to do. Um, but like I said, I, I saw what happened. I, I didn't like being on the receiving end of content that wasn't up to my standards. And I know how intense it can be for our clients, especially those at agencies. And so everything we do is kind of geared towards making sure you're not going to get in trouble with your boss and that everything and, looks great. And that's wonderful, right? And that's necessary. And so, <laughs> you know, you are sitting in those shoes um, and you know that there's a need and there's not anything out there that's necessarily filling that need to the extent that you, to the, the level that you are looking for it to be. And so you went off and created Sway. And yeah. so um, now being on the other side of things, I'm sure you also have another perspective, which is, well, of course, I naturally want to put out there the highest quality work that we can. But like you mentioned, it's very labor intensive. There's a yeah. lot to it, whether um, it's the technology side of it or just the human element of it as well. Because I don't know, I personally believe that I'm really into efficiency and automation, but the influencer space needs to always have a human element to it um, if it's being done at a certain quality level. Right. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, though, um, your, your mindset as a business owner um, and how you keep sort of balance, how you balance the, the quality of work that you want to put out there, but also making sure that you are, you know, running a scalable business that can continue to grow and be profitable. So talk to us a little bit about the balance of that. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And I think um, 2019 was kind of the, the summit, the peak of trickiness. Um, in that, like, for that, because I think there's there's a real bubble in terms of how many people were offering up influencer marketing. Um, and when you have a lot of players in the space and when you are competing against m hundreds of, of other companies and some of them are not as... Um, trying to think of how to say this delicately, might not be as concerned as we are um, with making a profit because they have lots of venture capital and really they just need to bring in some great logos and do some great work and they don't necessarily need those folks to come back right away and they don't need the work to be profitable and everything's a loss leader. It's very hard to compete against that when you have to make a profit and you're totally self-funded and you're supporting 30 employees and helping them put food on their table. And, you know, it's, um, 
It's been a tricky couple. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart. Full of years. And yours but, is the more compelling story. Just I'll speak personally, <laughs> right? And so that's why I'm having you on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the story that I want to hear. So I don't mean to interrupt, but just to, no. to, to chime in there. So tell us what, you know, so it's been, it was a tricky 2019, which I'm sure comes with so many learnings. Um, and you said you have a team of, you had a team of about 30 people. Yeah. Um, and we, so we... Um, it, you know, I think when companies go through a rough patch, like you can handle it in a few different ways, right? Like you can just crumble and throw up your hands. You can just kind of put your head down and just keep doing the same thing and hope that it's going to change. Um, or you can make some adjustments. So we, I'm actually super glad that we had a year that wasn't what we wanted it to be. We um, tighten, I don't I'm like mixing metaphors in my head. We um, kind of just tighten the bootstraps. I don't even know if that's the right thing. Like everything we, we are running super lean right now. Our team is amazing. Um, most of the people on the team are cross-trained so we can all help each other out. Um, we kept in touch with the, even some of the clients who left to go towards the squirrels and the bright shiny objects. We didn't give up on those relationships. Um, and what we're seeing now in 2020, it, it's funny. Um, my head of PR just sent me the Digiday article about brands cutting influencer spending. And we're seeing all these articles about the end of, you know, COVID's causing the end of influencer marketing. And we're not seeing that at all. Like the, a lot of the clients who left us are now back because they realized that things aren't always greener. <laughs> you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Um, and like I said, we kept up those relationships. And I think, I don't think influencer marketing is dying. I think the bubble's bursting and all of these companies that got into it just to make money because they heard, hey, influencer marketing is this hot thing. It's, yes, it's hot, but it's hard and it's labor intensive and it's really complicated. And um, I think we're seeing that those folks can't really sustain when things get tricky. Um, so I'm glad that we went through, you know, this period of all these competitors rushing in and making crazy promises and making things a little bit of a struggle for us for a short period because it got us super lean. It got us super tough. Like our team is really close knit. Um, and, and like I said, the client's who did kind of um, try out some others are, are coming back. So it's all, it's all good. 
And, you know, talk to us a little bit more about relationship building, because arguably that is what keeps a lot of businesses to what sets them apart from others, right? And when it is maybe perhaps an oversaturated market, your exact scenario is, is ideal, right? Where it's like, no, I'm actually so confident in my service and my company and, you know, and I'm, I, I had a wonderful relationship with you for a number of different reasons. You might be inclined to try a competitor. Um, I'm here when, you know, if you need me again, I'll always be here. And it sounds like that's sort of what happened and that it actually worked very much in your favor. Um, Talk to us a little bit about, you know, people listening who maybe they're just starting out a business, whether they work for somebody else, work for themselves, relationships are just so important. Um, You know, what's so important about business relationships for you? Like, I don't know if there's any sort of other additional stories that you could sort of call on um, where, you know, just really forming incredible uh, business relationships really, really benefit you in the long run. But I'd love to hear. If yeah. I mean, the whole company that. is built on it. And I mean, I'm so proud that we're now at the point where it's not just about me and my personal business, my business, my, my personal Danielle's business relationships. There are enough people on our team that there, there's more contributing to that now. Um, but we could not, I could not have started Sway without the relationships that I built over my career pre-Sway. I mean, and and a lot of these people are still clients now. So, I mean, the, the day we launched, we had a giant article in Ad Age because someone I worked with at Edelman introduced me to a reporter, made that connection hooked me up. We got that piece like that carried us through the first year of, of business. Um, people I worked with at not, not every single company, but many of the companies in my past are still clients now introduced us to others. And, you know, this industry is super incestuous. I mean, people are leaving and switching agencies, going brand side, coming back to the agency, like that's happening nonstop. So if you think about it, that like, and we kind of love that because, you know, we, someone, we have a relationship, someone brings us in, we do a great job, they leave to go somewhere else, they bring us to the new company, like, it's just this cycle that keeps on going, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's every, it's everything. It is everything. And then, you know, the other side of your, of your business that I'd love to hear a little bit about, especially being located where you are in the Bay area. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the technology piece, um, of your company. Do you have a background in technology? Like what is your interest in technology? Is it something that you're like, Oh, not my thing. Intimidating. I'm going to outsource it because I see the importance of it. Or do you really enjoy that piece of your business and how does it really service and help you? Yeah. I mean, I'm not super, for me, I love technology because it facilitates community, which is something I've been passionate about forever. I mean, I remember it's funny, like my next door neighbor growing up is now a big gaming blogger and podcaster. And he was like super techie and was always talking to people all over the world on, you know, message I think they call them bulletin boards that like BBS systems and was like super into that tech stuff. And I, you know, was like a drama geek. So I didn't get any of that, but I loved the relationships 
that he was building in the communities that he was in. So I came to technology through that. So, I mean, I've been part of communities since the beginning, like was super active in AOL groups and met friends I still have today on Yahoo email groups, you know, back when I was pregnant with my daughter in 2001. Um, so I've been doing that for a long time. So I, I love technology for what it brings. I'm not super, super techie myself. Um, in terms of the technology at Sway, we coming into it, no one at that time had built any kind of platform specific to influencer back in like 20, I think, I think it was like 2012. We were a year into the business when we realized we needed to move beyond Google Docs to manage what we were doing. Um, and so at first we built our own system based on Salesforce, which was a beast. Um, we then completely overhauled that and created another system on Drupal. And this was, we would bring in partners to help us with this, but they were all proprietary systems. Um, what happened though, was the industry started kind of snowballing in terms of growth. And so what we began to see was that the APIs were getting updated I mean, it felt like on a daily basis for the various platforms. And every time that happened, we'd have to call our tech partners and pay to have our dashboard updated. And ultimately, I mean, it's funny, my husband's in VC. So we talk about the fact that if we were a tech company, we'd have a much higher valuation than being an agency. So certainly I get the appeal, but no matter how much I try to like, you know, um, there's nothing I can do to make us a tech company. We're not, we're, we're an agency. We're very hands-on and um, it didn't, it was no longer sustainable to maintain our own technology, but luckily the industry had kind of caught up with us and we had some choices out there. So we did, went through a whole RFP process and we now use Creator IQ to power our dashboard. But interestingly, um, some of the stuff that we built no one else offers anywhere, including Creator IQ. So instead of just moving everything over to their system and doing a really quick four week um, onboarding, we actually did a six month integration because there's stuff that we had that we didn't want to get rid of um, that we felt it was important to keep. So, it, you know, technology integrations are not um, fun, but it was worth it. And now, you know, we have something that has pieces of our own you know, proprietary self in there, but for all the tricky API up, you know, updates and like, oh, now we have to add TikTok. Like it's not us having to figure out how to get that program. We have, they take care of it. And the thing is, that's interesting. is like Creator IQ, fantastic company. There are dozens and dozens of uh, companies that position themselves as technology focused specifically in the influencer space. Um, And a lot of them do some similar things. Some of them try to do more innovative things as well. But um, in my experience, what I found is there is no one size fits all for your business. Um, A lot of businesses that I've seen, mostly on the agency side, also on the talent agency side, um, usually have like a hodgepodge of tools, um, whether it's ones that they they purchase or license in, some that they've built themselves, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's off of another platform. So it is a hodgepodge of things. 
I've heard so many times, and we get this a lot, especially in our private Facebook group where people will pose the question, you know, what platform are you using? I'm taking all the demos and hours and hours of intensive labor that that even takes alone. Um, But just kind of PSA, and it sounds like this is maybe the experience that you had. The ideal situation is sometimes outsourcing certain things and creating some proprietary tools as well. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it took us a long time to create that RF, we actually did an RFI. Um, It took us a long time because we had spent years building our own system and creating our own processes. And, you know, we have 30,000 influencers who are used to using our system a certain way. So not only did we have to kind of be cognizant of our own team's needs and not you know, any kind of um, transition to a new system is, it's just traumatic. I mean, there's no way to avoid it. Um, We didn't necessarily want to have 30,000 mostly women being traumatized (laughs) and upset by it too. So we had both of those things in mind. But I mean, we created a crazy list of requirements and, and we're pretty firm and this is, this is what we need. These are the things we can't get rid of. This is what we need to keep. And so that made it, um, it was an interesting, it was an interesting, um, process process. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was something else. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, if we could get like really specific, I'd love to hear just your business. Um, what are some of the specific, areas of technology or tools that you use in your business? Like what were some of those non-negotiables or just gems that you guys have created over the years to make your business run smoothly, efficiently, and as fantastically as possible? Yeah. So, I mean, some of it was metrics based. So um, like we had built a tracking pixel that gets embedded into blog posts. So instead of using, um, Um, like just average monthly page views or unique visits, we know exactly how many unique people saw a sponsor post and exactly how many impressions it got, um, which we find is really, really valuable, especially since so much of blog traffic now comes from Google. Like using average monthly anything is not in any way, it just hurts my OCD self because it's not accurate at all. Um, So that it was really important to us to keep that tracking pixel functionality. Um, On the back end side, the thing that was most important to us was to keep our um, payment system in place. So we sometimes do programs that have as many as 250 influencers on them who all then have to be paid at the same time and not all at the same rate. Um, So we had built a system where our QA team, once something is done, signed off on, the client seen the report, we're ready to pay the influencers. They can go through, indicate who's getting paid. It's already been entered in how much. There's like this simple checkbox thing that somehow goes through the internet and then speaks to our bookkeeper and gets automatically imported into QuickBooks and bill.com. And then the influencers get paid by a direct deposit. It was a pretty complex system. It works really well. And it's, um, we couldn't go back to this, like, okay, send Mary, you know, $300, send Emily $600. Like we needed to keep it 
the way we had it. So that was the most important, I think, on the back end. And, you know, that's, those are two huge things. So yeah. not to even be understated by any means. Yeah. Um, and just to be able to even, you know, over time, I'm sure you've learned um, what the needs of the business are. And I'm sure they've evolved over time too. Um, so, you know, that's not to certainly be underestimated as well. I'd love to pivot a little bit um, yeah. and just talk about influencer marketing and your opinions on the different... There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart. Between getting into um, like story shares versus making money on um, for influencers, basically like community first versus like marketing first. Um, there's certainly a lot of opinions about that. And um, I certainly have my own. I'd love to sort of hear, you know, your thoughts about just getting into it in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes worry that in talking about this, I sound really old. Um, but are like, I've, I've been watching Golden Girls every night to fall asleep during this pandemic. And so I feel like, picture it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back when I started and my peers all started, there was no way to make money from social media. So the social media that I kind of grew up with that, you know, took me through the birth of my kids and that isolation and like, the social media that made me fall in love with social media was created by people who didn't get into it to make money. They got into it to share stories and share their writing and to connect with others. And then the money came later. Um, and that content was super authentic. It was very real. Um, I think it's obviously I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't think it was amazing that influencers can now make money. I, I love it. I love that because I think the content that they create is amazing and entertaining and they deserve, you know, influencers deserve all the money that we can throw at them. Um, but once money kind of came into the equation, all of a sudden you have people who are getting into it to make money first. And the, what am I going to share? How am I sharing it? That's kind of a secondary piece. Um, so it's just, I don't know that one's better than the other, like empirically, they're just different. I mean, I, 
I still love the people that I was reading 15 years ago. And so to me, I love that authentic, like I saw there was a um, New York Times article, like people don't want to see you sitting sad in your bed right now. And I'm like, no, we do. Like I'm sitting sad in my bed. Like I want to know that other people <laughs> are going through this as well. So I think that's a personal preference. What I can say is that we've seen, like if you look at the marketing like the per sales purchase funnel, authentic content is much better for bottom of funnel. So authentic content does a much better job at actually getting someone to purchase something right then and there. The aspirational content is much better for top of funnel, raising awareness, reach, being one of those, let's say six to eight touch points before someone actually makes a purchase. When people started getting into it just for the money. We saw this shift from authentic to aspirational and everything was very carefully planned and thought out and looked perfect. I'm a little bit excited. I mean, one of the benefits I think of this crazy situation that we're all in right now is that we're seeing a lot of people move back to that authentic piece. And conveniently, it happens to be at a time when direct-to-consumer is everything right now, and we absolutely need people to be clicking and purchasing things immediately. So it's this really, like, from like a marketing geeky perspective, it's really exciting to see this pivot back towards authentic happening right at the same time that we're having this explosion of D2C, because those two go together really, really well. Um, and I don't even remember what your first question was, but. No, well, that's, yeah. well, no, no, <laughs> that's, I mean, I, I think that a lot of people would agree that they're, um, that they're observing the same thing, which is that during this crazy period of time that we're in right now, yeah. COVID, um, I mean, if you think of it, practically speaking, nobody's able to hire a photographer and get a location and create this beautiful aspirational shoot. And so if they want to keep creating content, they have to just be authentic and real. Yeah. There's no way around it. Personally, that's some of my favorite content. Um, and I love a good artistic, beautiful shot. There's absolutely a space for that and will always be a space for that. Um, but it is. It's kind of refreshing also to see people just being really honest. And I think it's vulnerability too, which is really, mm -hmm. really appealing. Um, people are feeling all kinds of things these days and rightfully so because the world has like flipped on its head. Um, and, you know, back to your point earlier, it's like you're saying how much you really truly have always loved community and to be able to like be vulnerable with each other as a community. Um, I can only imagine that people feel more and more connected to that community the more that uh, the influencer who's essentially, you know, the leader of that community and the people, yeah. the, the person that people admire to and look up to is just being as honest and real and vulnerable as possible. Um, making other people probably inspiring them to be vulnerable as well. And so from a marketing perspective, um, it's, it is, it's sort of flipping things on its head because, um, I hear you on, you know, your point, which is, you know, the, the entry point to influencer marketing and do people, when do they, why do they get into it? Um, for what reasons? Um, and so it's just interesting that things have sort of shifted and 
it doesn't even seem to matter how you got into it, why you got into it, because you're- Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, hearing you say it back, I want to be really careful. Like, I love anyone who's vulnerable enough to get out there and share something, whether they're doing it specifically to make money or they're doing it because they just need an outlet Mm -hmm. to share their thoughts. Um, I don't necessarily have any issue with one over the other. I, where I'm curious is more like my sociology degree background. Like it's just interesting for me to observe how that initial intent impacts the way that content is shared and, and the style of the content that's shared. So it's more of like an observational thing versus like, get off my lawn, (laughs) you money-making, you know. I appreciate that you have a sociology background. We could probably talk for hours just about like observing things and theoretical things because I happen to enjoy that too. So I I appreciate just the observation of it and like no opinion one way or the other. It's just interesting what's happening. Um, So no, I absolutely can appreciate that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Um, like mega influencers versus micro. And you were even talking about nano earlier, Um, nano influencers. I'd love to hear, you know, your experience working with brands who have run the gamut of different types of influencers that, you know, they're looking to work with. Um, The risks of your clients getting sort of lured into potentially working with some of these, you know, higher profile um, influencers, maybe on like a one-off basis um, versus perhaps um, diversifying a bit and working with a lot of nano influencers or even a lot of like mid-tier influencers. What are the experiences like from an ROI perspective, um, from your very specific agency perspective and from the brand perspective? How do they differ? Yeah. I mean, we... um... So on our end, we classify influencers into a number of different levels. So for us, nano is anything under 10K. So on Instagram, if you don't have swipe up, um, we actually break micro down into three different levels um, and they all fit between 10 and 90K, but we have three levels within that because someone at 10K is very different from someone at 90K, but they're still considered micro. Um, And then you know, it goes up from there with micro and high reach and superstar and celebrity and whatever fancy names you want to use. Um, I think from an ROI, from an ROI perspective, it's very different depending on what the actual end goal is. And it's, it's kind of complicated to put programs together because it's not just the reach and engagement that an influencer gets on her own. There's Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. Like boosting is just essential on every program now. So it's this kind of complicated mathematical algorithm thing where we're figuring out, okay, what combination of tier of influencer and percentage of boosting, like how do we back into this number that our client has that they need to hit? And depending on what that KPI is, we're going to recommend something that's very, very different. So, I mean, I have no issue with using giant influencers. That said, if we have a client who's very, very much 
wanting to get an, uh, a purchase, you know, if their KPI is actual purchases, using one of these very, very expensive celebrity level influencers, we have not seen the ROI in that. We've actually had two clients um, report to us, you know, they got kind of talked into or excited by different reasons for different people using very, very large celebrity influencers. And I think one client sold six products and one client sold one product. That so, said- but, And so I was going to ask you, like, yeah. so when they go into that though, is their goal to sell product or is that- For these, yeah. they were. For these, wow, they okay. were. I mean, they're, okay. they're both D2C companies. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're kind of like, oh no, you know, with our head in our hands. Because the thing is, if, if they just wanted reach, I mean, there's a reason PR agencies still hire spokespeople to like go, I mean, they're not going to hang out in Times Square anymore, but like to go to events and to do these programs. And I mean, there's- absolutely a place for that if you want to get press if you want just pure impressions if um i mean those huge follower accounts can be super super effective for certain kpis um what we have seen for most of our clients if they want engagement or if they want purchase we we tend to skew towards the lower end um most of our programs are kind of a mix of micro or nano micro and macro. Um, and then, like I said, it's, um, you know, we're doing a lot of math on the back end to figure out how to get the numbers that our clients need. And so, you know, if you could even drill it down, uh, to like maybe three bullet points, like if you were advising a brand on, um, what strategy to go in? Um, I don't know. Maybe there's like three questions that they should just ask themselves about what they're looking to achieve. What would you tell them to ask themselves in order to be able to like look forward and create a perfect strategy for what they're looking to, to accomplish? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think one of them is being really clear on, on what your KPIs are. And I know almost every client is like all of them. (laughs) But even if it is all of them, putting them in order. So what's, what's the most important objective for you in this campaign? I think the second thing to be really clear on is aesthetic. Um, we have some clients and all they, like we had one client who came to us and they said, we need 20,000 clicks. That is all we need. I mean, the influencers had a fit within a certain demographic, but they didn't care what the content looked like. They didn't like none of that mattered. It was just, we need people in this demographic and we need 20,000 clicks. So make it happen. But for some clients, the aesthetic is really, really important and the content has to look a certain way and feel a certain way. So I think understanding that is really, really key. Um, I'm trying to think of a third bullet point. We have a whole questionnaire that we go through. And then the third is just answer your questionnaire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just fill it out and we'll we'll just fill it out. Yeah. But those, I mean, I think, I, I think, and just, you know, it's, it's, I'm trying, I mean, so much goes into the strategy. And I, I think the other piece of it is 
um, something that's really, really important when we're putting together strategies are content angles. So what we try to do in creating content angles is come up with some kind of prompt that's going to enable an influencer to tell their own story and bring their own lens to it in their own way, but hit the key messages and key points that the client wants to tell. And it took us a long time to be able to craft those prompts in the right way. And we actually have like a dedicated person on staff and that's all that she does. Um, but I think that's, I mean, you don't want to just give someone a press release and say, post this. You don't want to just give someone five key messages because not every, not every influencer is skilled enough to, to take that and run with it. So it's, you know, how do you give someone enough to run with without creating a hundred identical posts like that, that, that creative content piece is really, really it's really, really important and it's very, very delicate. And that's an art, not a science. Like that, yeah. I think that's why it, it is so delicate because um, exactly what you're describing, um, I've, I've observed as well, which is like, if you can really nail that piece, it usually yields a very, very successful campaign. Yeah. Um, and that's where the skill is of like aligning yourselves with people who have done it many times before to be able to perfect that craft because it is, it's an art and not yeah. certainly not a science. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> and so talk to us a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned that you have, you know, relationships with so many influencers that have like opted into um, your network, like via your website or maybe perhaps mm -hmm. doing campaigns with over the years. Um, you know, for any influencers that are listening, you know, what types of influencers do you what 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 is a part, an element of their content that really attracts you? Um, I assume that your uh, taste for uh, influencers is heavily dictated on what your client's taste is, of course. Um, but what yeah. types of influencers do you guys tend to work with most often? Yeah, and I I mean I don't get to play in that. Um, I can't even think of the word. Like I don't get to do that much. We have a whole team that does it. I'm helping out with a um, program right now because it was a referral from a friend. So I'm just staying annoyingly, I'm sure, to the team <laughs> involved in it. And it's fun to be helping to pick the influencers. But I mean, I think, um, I mean, separate, completely separate from the content, the most important thing for us is professionalism and reliability. Um, there are people we've worked with who've created absolutely amazing content um, that's looked phenomenal, read great, um, but they were difficult to work with. They didn't get stuff in on time. They had to be reminded. They didn't follow the post instructions. Like when we have a so many different programs going at the same time and everyone's so busy, like we don't, we can't be babysitting folks. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing for us. And we keep notes on all of that. So if we've worked with someone and, and they've been particularly difficult, they're not going to be at the top of our list when we're recruiting for a new campaign. Um, but it's, it's super, I mean, it's so variable based on who the client is. Like we have some clients who, um, I don't know. I mean, I think Really, it's 
having, I think it's really important for influencers to have a very noticeable aesthetic, whatever that aesthetic might be, because that makes it easier for us to kind of match you up. We get a lot of clients who are looking for something very, very specific, like we're recruiting right now for a uh, pharmaceutical program, looking for people who have a specific chronic disease. Um, And most of the people who do, if they are influencers, they're really small and that's okay. But I think just being true to yourself and who you are and sharing who you are, like there are so many programs out there like we want to be able to find those people who can tell so professionalism authenticity um and and when you're looking for these types of influencers are you tapping into your partners like creator iq are you utilizing um past partners that you've established recurring relationships with your network i'm possibly a combination of all of it um where do you hear that your team is having the most success finding the best people yeah so we i mean we have 30,000 influencers who are authenticated in creator iq in our system so we always start there because that's the easiest we can search and find folks we um, send out a newsletter usually multiple times a week letting our network know what we're recruiting for Um, we will often post about recruitments in our facebook group that many of our influencers are in Um, and then we're always bringing in new folks so um, when we, when our influencer team sees that certain areas are kind of bubbling up, like we've had a lot more requests lately for fitness and men, and there's just been some, like when we, or like last year, we had like four months where we were like crazy trying to find baby boomers because we were getting so many baby boomer programs. Um, so we have someone on our team who's tasked with just we give her kind of different verticals every month and she's tasked with just going out there and searching and finding folks and inviting them to join our network. Um, And then sometimes we'll have a campaign where we, we don't have who we need in network and we have to go out of network. Um, So we will ask, we will ask people who we already know who fit that if they know anyone else Um, just doing down and dirty searches and so let's let's and so let's chat about you know your day-to-day a little bit more which i would assume is is and you correct me if i'm wrong but i would assume it's really just running the actual business like running um you know the direction of the business the strategy of the business getting in new clients retaining clients things like that so let's like i want to talk about your expertise yeah um, specifically and so you know how does one who's you know you've had your company now for how long um over nine years now nine years um so coming up on a 10-year huge anniversary um which is really really exciting and a huge milestone at nine years (laughs) um certainly especially in the digital or influencer marketing space and that's like that's huge and so you know as the as the head of you know this incredible company how do you, you know, year after year decide which direction to go into, which areas to invest more into, which to pull back from? Um, talk to us a little bit about the the thought process that goes into the strategy of leading a company like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm a big goals 
person and I let this year has been weird because every goal I set for myself in January, I'm like, that's just not even relevant anymore. <laughs> um, but I'm part of a CEO advisory group called Vistage. And um, I'm part of this group with 15 other CEOs and we meet monthly. Um, and so through that group every year, I set a business goal. So a goal for my business as a whole, I set a leadership goal. So a goal for myself as a leader. And then I do two personal goals. Um, so that's kind of what drives, you know, that's what I use to kind of guide myself throughout the year. Um, in terms of my day to day, like it's a lot of it is triage mode when we're busy, but it kind of breaks down like CEO stuff. So, you know, working with the CF CFO and looking at P&Ls and the budget and the balance sheet and talking to the banker and doing all that stuff. Um, I also personally oversee um, sales and marketing at, at Sway. So I spent a lot of time um, just working with the sales team. I jump in on sales calls when, you know, I think I'll be helpful or the team thinks I will be helpful. Um, spend a lot of time, especially in the last two years on thought leadership. So doing stuff like chatting with you, um, drafting up ads, writing articles for Forbes, um, that takes up a lot of time, that whole piece of it. And then it's been crazy with um, COVID, but a there's just a lot more employee engagement is like the old Edelman term. I mean, I guess that's like a standard PR term for it, but um, spending a lot of time with the team. I mean, we're doing a lot of social hours and like I made pizza on a Zoom meeting with everyone last week and today everyone's showing their gardens. And so there's a lot of, um, and it's been lovely. There's just, it's a lot of time just socializing with the team and kind of keeping everyone's spirits up. And we've always all worked from home, but now all of a sudden everyone has kids running around and spouses up in their business. And it's, it's just different. So like the biggest priority right now is just keeping everyone sane and focused and um, just keeping that morale up. And can you dig into that a little bit? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, oh, like, what are you doing that's working? Because <laughs> that's hard. Yeah, so thank goodness my COO, Francesca, is like, we always joke that when we sell Sway Group, I'm going to be a bartender and she's going to be a wedding planner. <laughs> and thank goodness for her. She's amazing. But we've done, so a lot of our employees have little, I mean, I have older teenagers, so I just see them when they're hungry, but a lot of our employees have little kids. So we've done every week we do something for the little kids. So like last week we like zoom visited, um, a petting zoo. And so they got to meet like a llama and a baby goat. And, um, one week we had Elsa come on and we did a sing along with Elsa from frozen. We did Moana um, my 18 year old daughter read to the little kids one week, some of her favorite books. Um, and then for the grown ups, like I said, we did, we all made pizza last week. Um, we have done, we change it up every week. This on Friday we're doing with the, with all the spouses, we're doing, um, like online pub trivia. 
Um, what else have we done? We had, we had an online, um, wedding bridal shower for one of our employees. We had a book club where we all shared our favorite books. So it's, we keep it. Oh, we had a yoga class, two yoga classes. So yeah, we're keeping, trying to have something for people to look forward to. <laughs> no, and I, and I love that. And, and the reason I, I'm also just curious what you guys are doing in particular is because you say everybody's always worked remotely. Um, so sort of like having uh, a lot of time uh, accumulated of an experience accumulated over time, um, managing a group of people remotely. Um, so that's so interesting. And, and, you know, I don't know, it, it's interesting that you started the conversation. We started the conversation talking a lot about community and it sounds like that's very much a pillar of your own company, even to this yeah. day is um, just falling back on a community feel and to be able to um, just build a company that um, has that, that has that feeling in it. Um, and the amount of, uh, camaraderie that must exist within your company and, and how that extends into the relationships with your clients and how that extends into the relationships with your influencers that you've, um, that you've worked with over the years. So that's fantastic. Um, we ask this question of everyone who comes on. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your answer. We, uh, the question being, what, what would you have told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today? Um, it's so funny because I just, I've been looking at all these old, old childhood photos. So that feels like a very relevant question right now. Um, I mean, I think as I mean, not to make this into a whole therapy se- session, but no, I think do. The, it's okay. <laughs> the thing that has always held me back the most is just holding on to so much childhood stuff, like being picked last in gym class and, you know, just not being, the, you know, being a drama geek and not the most popular person. And um, I think had I known as a kid that I'd like none of that ends up mattering and I'm going to end up where I am. Like it would have been great. I love everything that brought me to that point, but um, I think it's something, I mean, I think most human beings struggle with all their childhood stuff dragging them down. So I think some kind of like little peek through into the future, just to kind of um, bump up that confidence. um, I would would have certainly been helpful, but, um, I'm grateful for the journey. Yeah. I, and I, I love that. And thank you for being vulnerable enough to share that with everybody. I have a feeling that so many people can relate, um, and would probably have a similar experience. So, um, I think that a lot of people listening are absolutely want to get in touch with you. Um, what would you say are the best ways for people to get in touch? Is it Instagram, email, website? How do people reach you? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, my LinkedIn is great. Just Danielle Wiley. And I am on Twitter every day, which is Danielle underscore sway. And then, my Instagram is super not work related. I'm I'm still food mommyac on there, which is my old food blog. But if you wanna 
see me making pizza every Friday or see my sourdough bread. It's very, very food focused, but I'm on the, on there all the time. If you want non-work, if you want the, well, everybody's been talking about sourdough lately. So, uh, yes, they will probably be going there. <laughs> we will link every one of those platforms below right. in the, the description box of the podcast. Thank you so much, Danielle, for being on today. It was such a pleasure oh, thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments. So comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work, have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.